Our first reading is 1 John, chapter 3, verses 16 to 24. Love one another. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and we will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God, and we receive from him whatever we ask, because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, And love one another, just as he commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us, by the spirit that he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John, but chapter 10, reading verses 11 to 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On my way down the high street, uh, on the way here, I was I'm a bit reluctant to start off like that, because do you know Alan Bennett's sermon in Beyond the Fringe? As I was going to the railway station, I always have a horror of actually preaching. It was a parody, you see. Anyway, no matter. Um, as I was walking down the high street, uh, a young man handed me a, a thing. Would I like to go on a river trip? Oh, I said, that would be wonderful. 
beautiful day. I'm just going along to the service in the Methodist church. Wouldn't it be absolutely marvelous if we could all get in a boat and have our service and sing and pray and listen to readings going down the river? But I said, unfortunately, it doesn't seem very practical, so I'm off. Now, he didn't say to me, uh, well, what are you talking about this morning? But if he had, you see, and I'd said to him, well, this morning's readings are about Jesus talking about I am the good shepherd. I'm not entirely sure that it would have actually convinced him it was worth a visit. I mean, when we think about sheep, we think about pastoral things, don't we? The sheep are out on the fields and it's all wonderful. We think about shepherds with sheep dogs and isn't it lovely to see them on the television uh, doing what they're told and all that kind of thing. Our thoughts might even stray to the fact that we are advertised these succulent lamb chops to eat for Easter by the supermarkets. But actually, Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, it doesn't immediately make much of an impact, really. Well, it doesn't to me, if I'm honest. So I thought I'd do a bit of research about it. And I found that this passage is actually very politically and socially radical. Because when Jesus said to his hearers, I am the good shepherd, what would resonate with them is their knowledge of their scriptures that would tell them that a good shepherd is a model of what a real leader ought to be like. A good shepherd would be somebody who would not only get them out of the foreign control that they were under, but would be somebody who actually felt that, that the prosperity of the whole community was important and that it wasn't right to use people as resources for status and for power. So when people heard this, it's a bit like, you know, I thought if I said to you this morning that you people here are freedom fighters when you listen to this gospel passage, I don't know whether that would ever have occurred to you before. And you might want to say, well, I'm not a freedom fighter. I don't like the connotations of that. So you might prefer it if we thought of ourselves as freedom agitators rather than fighters. But that actually is what this passage would say to the people that Jesus was speaking to at the time. Because the idea of the shepherd was such a powerful image for them. And it's very difficult for us to translate that into the shock that it would have been to them to be a shock for us to listen to this today. Now, what sort of freedom fighter was Jesus or freedom agitator? Well, he was the, thought, the sort whose battle strategy, battle tactics, actually involved non-resistance to his own execution. This is the sort of freedom agitation that we're talking about. And that in itself is a very powerful image, isn't it? To think that somebody would have the courage to do that. And Jesus' audience would have understood in their own day that they felt that the people who were in control of them in lots of different ways, socially, economically, politically, religiously, were perhaps not the sort of shepherd that they had envisaged um, from the scriptures that they read. So we've got to get that, I think, into our heads about this. It's difficult for us to, to appreciate that. I mean, I was trying to think of, a, of an example 
and about people being used as resource uh, as as a, as an aid to other people's wealth rather than as um, people in their own right. And what I came up with, and this is not a party political point because I think all governments have been complicit in this, but what I thought of was the idea of franchising things out. I mean, why are things franchised out? Basically because you can then get the people who bid the lowest who can pay their workers the lowest. And that's what's happened, hasn't it? That's what happened to many of our, of our services that used to be run by our own public institutions, like the council, for example. Um, but then I began to think through that, and I began to think, you can't stand up there and say that unless you're prepared to admit that you yourself don't want to pay any higher taxes. So the fact that successive political parties and governments have worked on the assumption that actually we are quite happy to pay as low tax as possible, but never mind the fact that this franchising out means that, that many people are living on a desultory wage, actually, and therefore have no ownership of the, of the services they're providing. You know, it, it, it's all of a piece, isn't it? And it all boils down to this idea that instead of us being concerned with the welfare of the whole community, we are now concerned with our own wealth and our own status. And that's why things don't seem to be working, it seems to me, because we don't have any idea about the common good. So this didn't just happen in Jesus's time. This is actually happening now. And we need to think about that. And this gospel makes me think about that and makes me think about, should we be agitating to say, this isn't what we want. This isn't the sort of society we want to live in. We don't want to live in a society where people are seen as resources for other people's prosperity. We want to live in a society where prosperity and flourishing is a possibility for everybody. Now, this gospel passage is actually at a very pivotal point in John's gospel. Because up till now, the main image has been that of light. Jesus as the true light who lightens everyone who comes into the world. So we've had light up to now. And actually, before this passage about the good shepherd, we have Jesus encountering and healing, giving insight to not only the blind man, but the people around him. And actually saying to them, well, now you can see you've got no excuse. You can see where the roots of destruction, where the roots of sin actually are. You've got no excuse. So John's gospel has moved from the idea of light and sight onto this passage that we've read, which is about the nature of Jesus's love. And so John moves on now from light to love. And those two things actually go together. Because when you see what's happening, you then begin to think, how can we apply love to doing something about this? So this is really a very, very pivotal point. And it seems to me that it's very apt in the world that we live in, isn't it? Because actually we do seem to live in, well, we do live in violent and turbulent times. These horrific murders, unspeakable atrocities. Nothing seems stable and it actually does seem as though we are wandering about like sheep and actually we have no way of actually coming together as a flock. I was interested actually um, to read in the paper 
you often get very depressing things about Christianity in the paper. Uh, and this is no exception, really. But I think it's making a point. And it says here, GPs are the new clergy. According to the doctor who led some research, religious services, service attendance and affiliation have declined. So the surgery is a forum in which to talk about deeper meaning in life and mortality. GPs would recognize that many patients come to them with a multitude of distress that may be existential. So he is actually suggesting that as religious attendance has declined, and that is a fact, then people are still looking for somewhere to go to say, what am I going to do about the misery in my life? What am I going to do about the decisions I've got to make in my life? And they perhaps have turned to thinking that GP surgeries and medicine can actually do something about that. Well, I'm sure they can, and nobody would want to underestimate the help that that can do. But the question it poses to me is, why are they not coming to the Christian narrative? Why are they not seeing Jesus as the good shepherd? And could it be because we don't actually talk to them in language that makes sense to where they are? Now, if you look in the two readings we had this morning, a key phrase is lay down my life, or his life, or our lives. That comes up several times. Now, what does that actually mean? What did Jesus mean when he says, I lay down my life? Uh, okay, you could say we know what that means. It means that he was prepared to be crucified and not resist, as we thought earlier on, and so it does. But you see, there are deeper things attached to that. For example, it doesn't say in the Gospels, does it, that Jesus was killed. Jesus laid down his life. Well, that has something to do with it being an action that he did, not that was actually done to him. So in a sense, he's kind of still in control. And I think that's important. And I think we have to show people that not that we're in control in the wrong sort of way, but that actually we have a sort of stability which comes from seeing that the Christian narrative has something to do with these existential questions and existential misery that, according to the doctor, they're now going to the doctor's surgery with. I think that's really, really important. Another thing that I found when I was researching lay down life was that the Greek word for lay down and the Greek word for life actually have the implication of putting aside, putting aside yourself, putting aside your ego, putting aside your you bit. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was putting aside himself so that ultimately the greater good could be for the greater number of people. And in the story, of course, we use, we use the words about, I lay down my life to take it up again. But he has to put aside himself first. So I wondered if it would make sense to people if we actually tried to say to them that one of the things that Jesus is doing in our passion narrative is actually saying, I am putting aside myself so that in the end, the message of love can actually spread. 
Now, it's not very easy, and I, don't, I do hate standing here pontificating. Well, I hope I don't pontificate, but, you know, I think of myself, and I think, well, you don't do that, because I tell you what, the parable always occurs to me that actually applies to my life the most is the prodigal son, and it's the older son who keeps on saying, what about me? What about me? What about me? I went to something the other day, um, and I'd been going to this organization for quite a long time, and uh, a great fuss was made of someone, quite rightly so, quite rightly so, who has done this for such a long time. Oh yes, I thought, wonderful. And you know, I actually did think, what about me? What about me? So that occurs to me several times, and I wouldn't want you to think that I don't understand how difficult this putting aside your ego actually is. But I do think there's something about it which is at the heart of what we're talking about when we talk about resurrection. And if we're able, in some way, to step aside and put aside me, lay down our life, then we will be able to take it up again, because actually it may well be that in rejoicing over these things that are happening, that are not to do with us, then good will spread. You know, it's very, it's very hard, isn't it, to rejoice with those who rejoice when you feel that you're being sidelined. Well, I find it very hard. So, you know, it's not easy. But surely, if this gospel passage means anything, if I want to go back up there and say to the young man who tried to get me into the boat, well, you should have come, you know, because this has actually got to do with something that has the, has the power to transform the way that individuals live and societies live, that the nation lives and that we live internationally. Because transformation, I think, is what resurrection is all about. And this laying down his life so that he can take it up again and that we lay down our lives for others, that is a crucial ingredient. Of course, it's also very easy these days to sort of lay down your life in the sense of signing petitions on the internet. I mean, that isn't, doesn't cost you much, does it? I mean, I know it achieves things, and, and I, I do do it, but it doesn't actually cost me anything. And it's also, in a sense, easy to think, well, I can afford to give away this much. You know, I will lay that side of my resources uh, down. What's not so easy is to get of this insistent thing inside that says, what about me? What about me? But if we could somehow transfer that into the way that we look at economics and politics and society, then I think we might be going some way to seeing what Jesus actually means when he says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep.